Hey, Adam. Hey, Hal. I saw this really weird movie this weekend. Oh, yeah? What's it about? There's this woman in Australia. She's Middle Eastern, and she is working as a DJ, and she wants to, like, make it big as a DJ, right? But then there's this giant bag of money, and her boss is really racist, and they end up on this, like, bizarrely paced cross-country trip to her ex's ranch. Okay, but is it gay? Hi, welcome to OK, But Is It Gay? I'm Hal. I'm Autumn. We are, well, I'm a master's student. Autumn has already become a master of English. I'm still but a lonely MFA candidate. And we're here to talk to you about some gay movies that you probably haven't seen before. This all started because when we were living together, because we were studying at the same school, um, we would spend a lot of our evenings watching a lot of really obscure films and our only criteria for those films was whether or not they were gay so anything mm -hmm. went uh, and we started noticing a lot of um patterns and things we were watching and we also noticed that a lot of the movies were from the same studio right or the same like production house the same distributor um, yeah yeah that's good old wolf video <laughs> Uh, we love them. Not sponsored. Uh, the largest, the largest distributor of LGBTQ like films in North America. They do DVD Blu-ray Blu releases for gay movies. Um, and as far as we can tell, in doing the research that we have done into them, there are essentially two criteria for getting a, a Wolf DVD re release. Now there might be other criteria, you might have to like go in front of a board, I imagine that there is a screening process. But, as far as we can tell, there are two rules for a Wolf video project. One, must be a gay movie, must center gay relationships, gay people. Two, you yourself, as the writer, director, producer, whoever, have to be gay. And because of that, they have this huge variety of films. Like, they have the American distribution rights for Rocket Man and Rafiki. And today, we are going to talk about 2015's All About E, uh, directed by, I should pull up, like, the, the IMDb page, probably, right? Um, Written and directed. Written and directed. By the same person. Written and directed by Louise Wadley of Girls Own Film fame. Hi, really quick, editing Hal here to talk about some trigger warnings for both the movie All About E and our discussion of it today in today's episode. Those include anti-Arab racism and Islamophobia from the primary villain, including a couple of slurs. We don't say those in the podcast, but they do happen in the movie. Also discussion of fat phobia that happens in the movie. And in the film, there is full frontal nudity and sexual themes. We do discuss these in the podcast. So if any of that kind of stuff bothers you, tread with caution. And here's the episode. I love the way that this movie opens. Uh, we are in a dark, maybe CD club. Uh, people are dancing. People are having a good time. And... Uh, 
titular E, played by Mandala Rose, is having a fun time in a bathroom cubicle. (laughs) She misses her opening to go on stage because she's hooking up with a random stranger and pissing off everyone else in line for the bathroom. Right, there's like three stalls in this club bathroom, already a bad sign. And one of them is out of order. And another one of them is occupied by E and her her paramour for the evening uh, making out. And that's just irresponsible. Um, But Um, eventually she like, what's up? Nope, go ahead, keep going. All right, eventually she like gets out of this bathroom. Um... And e, she, like, emerges in her, like, full Matador's costume onto the stage. People have been chanting her name. What we see of, like, what her set was going to be, she's, like, dressed as a Matador. And there are these shirtless, like, himbos marching around <laughs> the stage dancing. And there's, like, flamenco, flamenco dancers as well. I really like this setup. There's, like, DJ as Matador. And then... There are these, like, shirtless himbos who are, like, marching around the stage. I think they're supposed to be bulls, and she's, like, bullfighting them. There's also these flamenca dancers dancing around. It's great. It's, it looks like a fun time. Um, if nothing else, I think that this this movie definitely establishes right away that he is good at her job and enjoys it, and it would be fun to be in the audience at one of her shows, which is what you want for with, with a DJ, I think. It also establishes pretty early on that her boss is a terrible person. Yeah. After the show, (laughs) we meet Matt. Um, He's, like, on Legally Distinct from Tinder. Um, He's also, (laughs) like, negotiating her pay. We don't know if Matt is her manager. That is never made explicit. Um, I think it's more, like, Legally Distinct from Grindr. That's true. It's very clearly, like, a gay site. You're right. They they even call it something, uh, something gay. Oh, I didn't write it down. Gay chat. But it's very clearly they literally like, just yeah. call it gay chat. Yes, yes. Um. But then they go into Johnny's office. Uh, Johnny owns the club. Uh, he works for him. He is a terrible person. I keep almost swearing. We said we weren't gonna swear. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he's like racist and sexist towards E. Yeah. Um, it's really gross. Like when she goes to leave the office, he slaps her ass and it's really disgusting. Slaps her butt. It's very disgusting. Um, he calls himself Uncle Johnny. He's like, give a, give Uncle Johnny a kiss. And she does. And then he slaps her butt. So what is the truth? Yeah, that's very gross. Didn't like it. Um, and uh, the thing that he also what the thing that gives him the opportunity to be racist is that she wants to change her theme the for her set to like change up her act to be like Arabian Nights theme to like reflect her culture and her heritage. She's even like this isn't me and like gestures to her outfit, you know. And he doesn't care. I don't remember exactly what he says, but uh Oh, he says a Essentially slur. Essentially doesn't want to... And then... Mm. Um, and then dismisses the idea out of hand. And he's upset about that. 
As she should be. <laughs> like, retreats so, to the club bathroom and takes drugs. What were you going to say? <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, so we have set up, you know, right, right away, uh, three characters we have e who's you know a little bit of a mess maybe taking drugs also a bit of a slut missing her cue to go work because she's hooking up with a stranger Mm -hmm. uh then we have matt who's really only personality trait at least at the beginning seems to be that he's gay he's gay and insecure those are his two personality traits and he's Irish, if that counts oh, yeah. as a personality trait. He does seem to try to make it a personality trait this somehow. This movie is so weird about Irish people, and I don't know why. I don't know if this is an Australian thing, if they've got beef with the Irish for some reason. But, like, this actor isn't Irish. They have had him put on this accent and also dyed his hair red and the only time that he references being Irish is to lament the fact that he is Irish. Not for any like particular reason. He's just like, oh, I'm insecure, Irish, and fat. Those are three things that are bad about me. Um, this movie's also like not like incredibly fat phobic, but like, mm, stop making fun of this man who happens to have a little bit of tummy actually perfectly average perfectly man. average man like not that it would be justified if he was like genuinely overweight but like looking at this man that is the like median human body mass index like i don't understand yeah and, and he complains about it and other people like point it out to him point out his weight to him so often yeah it's it's wild and for no reason it doesn't add anything to the plot or his character yeah he doesn't have an arc about like beginning to believe in himself and he doesn't like like do body positivity stuff or anything it's just there for us to laugh and it's not even funny i don't even know if it's if they're also trying to like say that gay men are really shallow in this way too because he even makes the comment that like everyone else that he's trying to you know meet on his gay chat site or elsewhere they all like are perfectly toned and have perfect bodies and stuff right like the lie that he tells the person he's he's trying to chat up is i'm an irish version of rob pattinson which is hilarious that was extremely funny um (laughs) But, like, yeah, it's not enough of a presence to feel like, oh, they're making a statement about, like, the the kind of crowd you find on Not Grinder, right? It's just sort of there. And I do think that it's meant to be a joke, but it's not funny because it's kind of gross. Yeah, definitely. Um, So E takes drugs, presumably E. Presumably she's doing ecstasy in this bathroom. Um, I don't know why they didn't make like a bigger deal of that. That's a little bit funny, actually. Um, but she flashes back to meeting her love interest at some kind of party where she's like playing clarinet. This is where we learn that E is a classically trained clarinetist, if that is the word. Uh, she like went to college for clarinet. Um, her family is in this flashback, and we also meet Trish is the name of the character right yes um right yeah who i feel like it's worth pointing out that uh trish is like 
this beautiful skinny blonde lady who mm-hmm. looks an awful lot like the woman that E was hooking up with in the mm-hmm. opening scene of this film. Like literally, if you weren't paying attention, you would think, oh, this is a flashback to her girlfriend who she was just making out with. But no. So she has a weird preference for blondes. Mm, I wonder if that's significant. Um, <laughs> um, so then we like, the next morning, Matt wakes E up because it's his birthday and she has forgotten. She's like overslept, presumably because she did drugs the night before. Um, and they're roommates. I don't know if we mentioned yes, that. They are, they are roommates. So it's like not weird that he's in her room, in her <laughs> house. But then they like chat for uh, for a bit. E has another flashback about Trish. Um, this one is mostly vibes, and <laughs> then we smash cut to Johnny in his office screaming at a courier for leaving some some amount of money, an amount of money to be angry about in a taxi. Um, and then we get like Matt on legally distinct from Grinder, um, and he's interrupted by E's mom calling. It is not, I don't remember if this is a landline or if he's answering E's phone or if somehow. I believe he's answering E's phone. Okay, because like if somehow E's mom has gotten a hold of his phone number, that's weird. But like E's yeah, mom I don't calls. think so. I think she was in the shower because he yelled at her that she wasn't out of bed yet to celebrate his birthday. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was answering her phone. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, E's mom calls, utterly refuses to interact with Matt. We don't know what's going on there. Um, Just like, oh, you're not, you're not my daughter. I don't, what? Hangs up the phone. Which is also hilarious. E's parents show up later. They, I really like the mom character. I think that she's fun and should have been in the movie more. Um, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, the parents definitely are really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the movie didn't care enough to fully explore their their relationship, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the parents and also just their family unit itself. She has, like, a brother who's passed away. It's a whole thing. Um <laughs> But in the meantime... But in the meantime, we haven't learned any of that yet. Johnny is here. <laughs> Johnny is in like some sort of security office. Uh, he learns that um, E shared a cab with the girls that she was making out with, and they took the cab, uh, the same cab that the courier left the money in. So he sees video of E holding his bag of money, and he flips out. Uh, calls E, but she's still mad at him about being racist, and so he's like, I'm not talking to this guy. The moral of this story, none of this movie would have happened if Johnny was less racist. Hot take. Right, yeah, because also Matt kept encouraging her uh, not to answer the phone, because Matt doesn't like Johnny at all, Right. never has, um, and it is his birthday, so she's also trying to, you know, stay on Matt's good side and uh, just kind of ignoring her phone in general. Right. And like E and Johnny have some sort of unspoken like very deep but like unexplored relationship where just sort of t- 
told that they're close and that E feels beholden to him, but we have no idea why that is. It's like lightly implied that she, that Johnny is the reason that she has such good crowds, that she is so popular, but like we don't know why that is good enough to put up with him being like racist. Yeah, despite the fact that we get a lot of flashbacks throughout this movie, the movie never really tells us anything about the start of her and Johnny's relationship. Yeah, despite that Which being... seems weird, since Johnny is the main antagonist of this movie. Yeah, and also, like, their conflict is the thing that drives the whole movie. Like, if she had picked up that initial phone call, again, the movie just doesn't happen. And yet we're not right. told, like, why. Like, we... I don't know. Um, we're not really told a lot of things. No. Honestly. <laughs> This movie is, uh, there's so much that happens in it, and yet it is all incredibly vague. Yeah. But, um, should we, should we skip forward to them deciding to go on the run? I feel like that's the next important plot point here. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. They find the bag of money in E and Matt's, like, flat. Like, E drunkenly, or, like, cross-fadedly brought it into their apartment. And it's just filled with $50 bills, like a comical amount of 50s are in this duffel bag. I'm trying to remember what makes them decide to like flee with it, because first they just kind of take it with them, right? like when they go out for Matt's birthday breakfast, and then, oh, and then they come back to the apartment yes. afterwards, and the place has been ransacked. Yes, and that is what it, what makes them be like, ah, we should go. We should take this and leave now. Um, there's also that random scene with that like pair of drag queens that who only exist to get harassed on the street, and then E like threatens one of the people who are harassing them with a wheelie bin. Best scene in the movie. Right. Yeah. I yeah. I think mainly just to make sure that we know that E's the type of person who doesn't. Uh, take any crap from people and will beat up homophobes on site. Right. And yet is tolerant of Johnny because of their unspoken, unexplored emotional bond where she feels some sort of loyalty toward him. Again, it's really weird that we don't get more of that. Or she just kind of thinks that she needs him to be successful. She definitely thought that at the beginning. Right. And then she gets because a duffel bag. Because he offered her this opportunity mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe just kind of, I don't know, my assumption is that she grew comfortable with that setup. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, regardless of the situation, it's scary to, to leave a somewhat comfortable uh, means of <laughs> getting income. Yeah. So. That's fair. That's fair and valid. But anyway... She and Matt decide to go on the run. Yep. Matt is initially against that idea. He wants to go with the police. Mm -hmm. uh, but E really wants to keep this cash. I believe she sees it as a way to finally be free of Johnny, if I'm correct. Right. Exactly. Like, she's like, this is the way. Like, we're going to go to Melbourne. We're going to start over. This is the way that we're going to, like, 
get the Arabian Nights show off the ground now that we don't have the support from Johnny. Um, because she doesn't want that support anymore because she's fed up with it. Um, so we get a little montage, kind of, of them stopping at several different homes of people they're hoping they can crash with for a few days, while whoever is after them, whoever ransacked their apartment, um, kind of stops looking for them, they hope, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right, like, they, um, they don't know that it was Johnny. They had no point... Like, until, like, almost the end of the movie, they do not figure out um, that it is specifically Johnny who is chasing them. And therefore, E is, like, still hanging up his calls because she's like, no, I don't want to talk to a racist man right now. She also has more important things going also, on at the moment. Also, more important things. But the thing <laughs> is, they know that Johnny is a criminal, and they know that criminals of some kind are after them. And so, again... If Johnny had just been less racist, he would have gotten his money back. Because E would have been would have answered the phone at some point and been like, yeah, our, our, our place got tossed. And he was like, yeah, I did that. And she's like, why did you do that? Moral of the story is be less racist. Be less racist and you get your double bag full of cash back. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, um, so we get this montage we, that at the same time. <laughs> we get this montage and it's like I'm E and I'm a heartbreaker yeah all these people she's going to are old hookups mm-hmm. um, just to really establish that she has a lot of like one night stands or really short flings with people but like really um, intense ones yeah it seems like it all these women are like very upset when they see her very Mm -hmm. emotional one of them Um, and then oh go ahead one of them we don't see because the movie has to take a pause to be biphobic ah yes (laughs) um right yeah she's she's with a man now i guess we can assume married because i believe there was also a child right um and uh he is like she was a little confused like don't yeah hey hey film hey movie hey movie (laughs) hey movie bisexuality exists actually yeah um one of them she owed like a substantial amount of money one of her exes and she's like here here's money and interest and then the ex is still like my mother was right about you you're trouble and closes the door that's probably true, considering E is now on the run with all of this uh, money in a random duffel bag, mm-hmm. you know. That's kind of troublesome. <laughs> um, they end up crashing at Matt's old landlady's place, because Matt has no friends, apparently. Like, E has all of these exes, and Matt, we but know... But those aren't friends, either. Right. I mean... That's true. You know, yeah, old old hookups especially these ones because they Mm -hmm. all seem to have ended so poorly yeah neither of these people have good relationships with others it seems like they just have each other yeah um and matt has his old landlady which is somehow sadder uh this is where we learn that uh e has a brother who passed the landlady does um like a tarot reading and she draws the three of swords which is like heartbreak and disappointment 
Um, Matt thinks that this is pointing toward like her dead brother, but I think because I'm a nerd that it is talking about Trish because the Three of Swords is very often less about familial relationships and more about romantic relationships. Um, tarot people correct me, I guess, but like as far as I understand it, um, the Three of Swords is about mostly about romantic entanglements. But either way, we know that she has a lot of sadness in her past. Mm -hmm. So that's very clear uh, from this scene and several others. And probably we can blame that for all of her one night stands. Yeah. Like probably she's bad at relationships because she's sad um, and not good at peopling. But being... uh, like analyze like this really makes her uncomfortable so they do yeah. not end up staying with the former landlady and they go to visit E's parents right as a very much it's very clear that this is a last resort they are not happy about it uh mainly because E is in the closet right this is like super classic parents of color won't understand my gayness stuff and they don't really like address or explore it in an interesting way like e arrives here with her fake boyfriend her fake husband they say that they got married yeah Um, they eloped and the parents were very upset that they weren't invited to this uh impromptu wedding yeah and and she leaves there still in the closet having not talked, having not really talked about anything with her parents. Like, there's this whole, we can go, like, plot B by plot B here. But, um, oh, we also get a flashback before that happens. We get uh, the Penny for them flashback. We get E, mm. and E is listening to clarinet music in the in the car. She's vibing, and she flashbacks about, daydreams, rather, about Trish. Um... I don't remember which of them says penny for them, but Trish, I, I think it's Trish, says penny for them, like penny for your thoughts. And he's like, it'll cost you. And it's like, yeah, a penny. She offered you a penny. Um, but then we learned I that, think that's when he asks her to move in. Yes. Together. Those are the thoughts that cost a penny. <laughs> Right, so most of these flashbacks that we're getting with her and Trish are, like, very cute and wholesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Progress through the And a lot of them are very much connected to her clarinet playing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The only real conversation, I think, that that she kind of has with her parents is about her clarinet playing. Right. Um, Her mom has a little speech talking about how, you know, they sacrificed a lot moving to Australia and everything to give her a good life and to give her all of these opportunities, which in her mom's view, he has rejected um, by giving up the clarinet to pursue DJing instead. Mm-hmm. In my humble humanities major, like, view of the situation, she's got a job in her field. She's doing, she's doing okay. Um, but I also, like, it's understandable that she's disappointed that her daughter has dropped out of college, um, like, is not pursuing uh, clarinet, which is, like, this, like, 
instrument that's like tied to their culture um is doing this thing is doing this thing in like a cd club also like she works i don't know if her mom knows that she works for a criminal but she definitely works for a criminal um but we did skip a really important flashback um we're not Mm, we're not at the parents house yet we are we're flashing back to trish um E gets a call from her parents uh, while her and Trish are in bed together. Mm. Her parents need to stay with her for a couple of days while they attend, like, a cousin's cousin's wedding or something. Um, and E calls Trish her flatmate. Uh, and Trish is, like, very upset about that. Uh, not only that, but... Um, sorry to interrupt you. But not only that, but then the parents want to visit E, and E is like hoping that Trish will just not be in town the weekend the parents are visiting. Right. Like she's like make yourself sparse in your own home. And like Trish has this whole thing where she's like almost demanding that E come out, which is like super complicated. You don't just ask someone to do that. Right. Like E overstepped especially by you know not actually talking to Trish about this and just kind of assuming that right. Trish would just be out of town for this random weekend Mm -hmm. also it was the weekend of their anniversary yeah which like e can't control when her parents want to visit but i mean that is extra terrible big um so you know e e was in the wrong with a lot of things mainly just the lack of communication but definitely trish should not have demanded like you say for e to come out because like you said that's um incredibly personal and really no one should ever decide when someone else comes out mm-hmm. people ask a person asked me once in undergrad for advice about coming out to their parents there's like of like a freshman and i'm like in my junior year and i told them just not to do it like that was my <laughs> that was the only advice that i could conjure from my own lived experience of coming out to my parents just don't do it it's not their business my advice would have been wait until you are financially independent. Uh-huh. Also that. So if they want to kick you out, uh, that's okay. You're already gone. Yeah. Um, e also has a couple of lines. They're like resting right before they get to uh, E's parents. They're like sitting on some sort of gravel beach. Um, e is talking about how, yeah, like, like you said before, how her parents like worked really hard first of all, to come to Australia and then to make a good life for her and her brother. Um, And she has some, like, major imposter syndrome um, because she feels like she's not living up to the ideals that they set forth, both, like, by their actions and by, like, you know, telling her that they want to be proud of her, right? Um, That's definitely made a lot more complicated by the fact that her brother passed away so young. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe he was killed by a drunk driver when he was 17, I think. Um, And I believe there, like, he was the perfect child, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, He would have made the parents proud in a way that E feels like she can't. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) Then the, then we get a lovely sequence of Matt trying to be mask. He is 
He's wearing a gay little outfit. He's wearing like a button down and a vest and a bow tie and these like I love bright, the bow tie. Beautiful bow tie. And it's like bright red skinny jeans. And he like keeps taking accessories off and like rearranging things in order to present like a straight guy. And it's not really working. Uh, it's not working at all. Um, and like on purpose on the like, um, on the films part, right? Like it's not supposed to work. It's this is supposed to be funny. This is how you do gay jokes, not at the expense of gay folks. Yeah. Um, so I actually wish there was a lot more of that yeah. in the movie. Less fat phobia, more this adorable effeminate man is trying to be tougher than he is and when they when they walk in and he introduces matt to the parents they they say uh this line red hair how do you do this to us which i also thought was hilarious <laughs> they um, they dyed this man's hair red so that they could make irish jokes i don't know yeah I, um, so, uh, Islam is upset. Um, she e is like damaging the family's reputation by having dropped out. And she was in like a really good program. She was on a clarinet scholarship. Um, and like her dropping out, you know, has obviously damaged their... Looks bad. Yeah, looks bad for the family. Um, I've written here uh, in my notes, she has a job in her field, ma'am. <laughs> I do, it's understandable that they're concerned if she drops out of school. Mm -hmm. I do think it, it'd be one thing if she graduated and then got this job DJing. Right. Um, but it, it does, it is more concerning just in general, you know, to hear that your kid uh, dropped out and didn't didn't finish the degree, definitely. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, trying to like guilt your child about it is uh, not the way to fix the situation actually yeah she's literally like your brother never did this to us um which is like wow hey mom mom hey dinner isn't even done yet they're like actively preparing this meal my mom waits until we're eating to do this kind of thing you gotta wait until you're done eating what what during no. then you could just like choke on your food <laughs> but you can't leave the table as easily if you're still eating mm, i see it's a trap it's a trap then we get like e hasn't played clarinet in over a year they are horrified her parents are horrified to learn this um hey i wonder how long and it's it been. is it's kind of unclear the whole movie just what E is thinking about the clarinet mm -hmm. or like what exactly we're supposed to associate with the clarinet that was one of my big right. questions the still at the end of the film yeah the flashbacks with Trish are definitely like clarinet influenced or sometimes clarinet induced like she's like vibing to the clarinet in the car and thinks about Trish we know that uh, we learn later that her and Trish broke up over a year ago we know that like they met while E was playing the clarinet. 
So is the theme of clarinet playing connected to Trish or is it also connected to like her family life? Is it connected at all to her brother? The brother is underutilized. If you're gonna have a dead brother, he's gotta be in there. He's gotta be a plot point or else you shouldn't have a dead brother. Her culture felt underutilized in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, her the name E is obviously just a nickname because she doesn't want to use her full name either because maybe she thinks it's easier as a DJ to have a like easier to I don't know more Americanized name or not Americanized but like westernized uh, westernized yes thank you um but I also felt very much kind of like she was purposely trying to distance herself maybe from her family or her culture which then made it extra weird why she was arguing for a new theme right with Johnny it's all very confusing yeah it feels like they wanted to do something but like weren't like weren't sure how or were afraid to commit that happens a lot the only thing they really commit to is uh, that sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> we have not... We are on page three of my notes. The sex scene happens um, on page... On page five. We're getting there. Well, we should probably... So, um, to keep this moving forward... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, while they're staying at E's parents' house, um, Johnny calls the parents like the landline mm-hmm. because E is not picking up her cell phone oh oh and... wait 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 can we talk really quickly so throughout the movie so far Matt has been on gay chat with a man <laughs> with this very specific blonde goon this blonde henchman another blonde person yes I just want to say <laughs> continue with this blonde henchman of Johnny's, like one of the two guys, he's like, I'm the boss and these are my two toughs. And one of them is this blonde guy who Matt is actively texting and flirting with throughout this entire film. And it never comes to anything. It never is like, oh, like when we first watched this, I was like, oh, he's gonna like turn his location on or the, the henchman is going to figure out how to track him through the gay dating Right, because it's anonymous. Right, it's anonymous. And, but it never, nothing ever happens with this. And it's so present. And I don't understand. I guess it's just supposed to kind of be funny. I guess. And a way to give Matt some hope to not be alone forever. And also like something to do besides supporting and or yelling at E at different points but I just I wanted it to be something so badly and it's not um anyway talk talk to me about Johnny calling E's dad (laughs) right right so he calls in like the middle of the night and they have to wake E up to give her the phone Mm -hmm. um and that's when she finds out that it's Johnny's money Right. Um, and she she tells him on the phone that she'll return the money. Mm-hmm. But instead... Um, Stashes her parents tells, with her weed guy. Right. Tells the parents that they have to 
go away for a little while. They can't be at the house. Mm -hmm. And then she and Matt hurry and leave in the middle of the night uh, and hit the road again. Right. Um, I don't really know what their long-term plan is for this. They try to get a plane and it doesn't work because they don't either don't have or don't want to use ID. It was kind of unclear. Yeah. They didn't realize that you needed ID for a domestic flight. Which is a strange thing to not know or yeah. assume. Um, e says specifically, like, like Matt must call her out on, um, like, her strange loyalty to Johnny. And E just says, nobody gets her and Johnny. Like, nobody gets it, what's between them. And it's like, yeah, neither does the audience. Yeah, and that's all that's ever said about it. Yeah. That's it. We never return to this plot point and like, or to this, you know, idea at all. Then we get, oh, another flashback. Um, e gets this, like, her first, presumably her first gig at Johnny's club at the expense of she was supposed to be in a clarinet, in like a woodwind quartet in order to, like, keep her scholarship. Um, Trish is upset by her, like, oh, I don't. I'm dropping out of school, I'm like losing my scholarship, instead I want to be an EJ. Um, and like Trish says to her, this isn't what you really want, which is like a rude thing to say to a person, first of all. And also, we as the audience, like I don't think that there's evidence that E didn't actually want to do the DJ thing, like that she was like turning to this like for some sort of tortured reason or something, like she didn't believe in herself with the clarinet yet or anymore rather, or like something happened with her family and she was trying to distance herself from this like heritage instrument. Like we don't know if Trish is right. And so I am inclined watching this scene to think that Trish is like overstepping there. Don't tell people what they want, it's rude. Yeah, and we as the audience don't know what e I don't even think E knows what she wants um, she says in that scene that she no longer wants to play clarinet even though that's pretty clearly not true mm -hmm. um, just because throughout this whole movie she keeps like listening to the clarinets um, in the car and stuff and clearly like misses it and um and at one point later in the movie, uh, sees this like really fancy clarinet and gets really excited about it. So mm -hmm. I'm just not really sure why she was so adamant in that moment that she didn't want to play anymore. Uh, this is like the scene, this flashback afterwards is when E and Trish break up. Mm -hmm. And we're not entirely sure why they break up presumably it's a combination of the fact that he you know won't won't come out um and also this argument i guess about her future and dropping out of school and there's this weird connection or parallel between like her no longer playing the clarinet and losing trish mm -hmm. so i don't know if um her deciding she no longer wants to play the clarinet is like because she and Trish were f having like a, a falling out or what this is but it's very vague right 
I, this is one of those things that could have been really good. If the movie came at this story like, okay, we are going to draw strong parallels between like home and the clarinet. And home can mean her heritage, her family, her brother, her relationship with her parents. Or home can mean Trish. And like it can mean both of those things at the same time. And so she's like doing the DJ thing to distance herself from that or she like just didn't want to play the clarinet like professionally and like got this job that she really loves and was still playing like for fun for like personal enrichment or whatever but then Trish and her break up and because she associates the clarinet so strongly with like a sense of home and with Trish and this is exacerbated by her parents being um, disappointed in her for break for for dropping out and her brother has died now she associates the clarinet with too many negative things in her past and therefore is not playing anymore but it doesn't do that like the bones it feels like they wanted to do that but they didn't quite make the mark yeah they they didn't want to really commit to any of those conflicts or any of those reasons at all so we just kind of have fast no i can't say that we just (laughs) we kind of got a little bit of an inkling of all of them and none of them went anywhere right wait autumn i think that we've cracked the code the code this movie is about a woman with commitment issues and the movie itself has commitment issues. Wow. All about you 2015. Perfect film. That should be the title of this episode. Something about <laughs> commitment issues. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really what's happening here. Everyone has commitment issues. Uh, except uh, Matt speaking... who is actively pursuing a relationship with this uh, minion, Matt Minion OTP. Everyone Matt talks to has commitment issues, but Mm -hmm. Matt is very, very committed. Matt is ready. He deserves, he deserves the best. Speaking of commitment issues, uh, when E and Matt go on the road again, they end up driving to E's kind of last option that she sees available to her as a place to hide out while she figures out what to do with this cash and that is Trisha's ranch. Right. Um oh before we get to the ranch though, there is the flashback of Trish dropping off her key, which oh suggests yeah. that they are that they are like through the process of breaking up and like Trish has moved out. Um and she finds um, e in bed with another woman and E's like sadly playing the clarinet which again if the clarinet like is this comfort instrument for her I don't understand um, the rest of like the wishy-washy stuff um, Trish is upset that like it's only been three days but maybe it's been three days since she moved out or three days since they officially decided to end it I feel like it, it would take more than three days for her to get all of her stuff out of this apartment um and there were boxes yeah still in the apartment so it's weird that she was dropping off the key if she still had stuff there 
Unless that was E's but, stuff. Like, E isn't staying in this place either because it's, like, a two-person apartment. Oh, maybe. She's, yeah, like, that's, now moving in with Matt. True. Right, but after uh, Trish sees them in bed together and tearfully leaves, mm-hmm. um, then E smashes her clarinet on the ground. And is like, is that the moment that we're to understand that she has, like, cut herself off from the clarinet? She doesn't want to play the clarinet anymore. But she said earlier, in an earlier flashback, that she isn't that she's done playing the clarinet does she mean in that flashback that the that she's done playing the clarinet professionally we don't know and that's i think a problem it could if the clarinet is a metaphor for like her relationship with trish Mm -hmm. it could be that she's saying she no longer wanted to play the clarinet is like I don't know if I'm ready to commit to you in this way and come out to my family. Right. She's not ready to introduce And then breaking the clarinet is because the relationship is officially over now. Possibly. That's a reading. That's my theory. If one of my students turned that in, I'd give them an A. If they had, you know, the proper citations and stuff. You know, depending. Oh, of course. Are we ready to go to the ranch? Then we get a lighthearted road trip montage, despite their lives being actively endangered. Right, and the soundtrack is so weird Mm -hmm. also for this movie. Because it is very lighthearted the whole time. Yeah. Matt is listening to gay people music for gay people. Um, (laughs) Because that is his only personality trait. Right. In case we forgot with the bow ties (laughs) and everything else. (laughs) Um... This is what I was talking about with like this, like the bizarrely the, the the bizarre pace of this. It's a it's a chase. It's a movie long chase sequence, and we are going forty miles an hour in a moderately priced sedan, and we are listening to One Love or whatever this pop song is, and I, it's. An experience, I think. Equal love, equal life is the song that they're listening to. And it is an experience. I never once get a sense of urgency from E about mm-hmm. like the potential peril that they're in. Yeah. And I mean everyone processes things differently, obviously. And Matt at several points is clearly upset you know or scared Mm -hmm. and keeps talking about going to the police etc etc um but e is just very calmly driving listening to her clarinet music you know they stop for breakfast and chat and it's the only time she kind of maybe hints that she understands the gravity of the situation is when she tells the parents that they have to leave their home for a few days Mm -hmm. And other than that, I have no sense that she realizes her life is in danger. That's also, like, what the movie is conveying. Like, it's not even just the characters. We get this, a lot of these, like, long tracking shots of the uh, of the car. We get a lot of, like, very languid, like, sequences of them just sitting in the car listening to music. And, like, when it's the clarinet music, it's very, it's... Like, when it's the pop music, it's, like, upbeat and happy. And when it's the clarinet music, it's very, like, calm and quiet. I guess because E is trying to calm herself down. But in a film, I feel like we need to see the character freak out 
and then they put some calming music on and then there's some impact of that instead we're like here's e she's calm and also she's listening to calm clarinet music and we're just cruising along down this highway yeah i it just left a really it was very difficult then to to stay you know in the moment mm-hmm. of the film and for it to feel like a believable conflict that was happening because of all these tonal shifts very very randomly mm-hmm. and then we get cuts to Johnny and like Johnny's angry and like they toss her apartment for a second time and then later a third time I don't know why like you're not more thorough when you toss people's apartments when you're looking for them whatever um, also, I've written here in my notes in all caps, uh, posters in Johnny's office imply E had a different theme before the Matador one, so why can't she change it now, racist man? Like, his excuse for not wanting to change it, it, change it in the beginning is like, oh, people like the Matador thing. It's like, okay, but like, people liked her when she was like, dressing like a mid-2000s punk in those in those posters in your office so what is the truth yeah we know very little about johnny in general Mm -hmm. about his thought process at any given point so it makes sense that with this as well we have no idea what his reasonings are yeah okay so they arrive at the ranch there's a dog his name is tiny he is a border collie we love him with our whole heart yeah, they arrive at the ranch, and uh, Trish is very upset to see E and does not want them there. Yeah, and then and then Matt says, after what you did, can you blame her? And like, what do what she do? She slept with someone three days after they broke up. Like that's kind of fast, but like they were broken. That's kind of rude. They were broken <laughs> I mean, up. I. <sighs> they were. Broken yeah, definitely. Up. Like I would be upset. Uh-huh. But I wouldn't be ang- like righteously angry in the way that Trish is. Trish definitely acts the entire time like E wronged her mm-hmm. in some way. Wronged and her supposedly like supposedly the worst thing that E did is not want to like admit the truth of, of their relationship to her parents. I don't know why that would make you so angry in the way that Trish is. Mm -hmm. It really didn't make sense, and the flashbacks do not clear this up. Like, the movie continuously tells us that E has problems, but refuses to, like, make her genuinely a bad person. Like, it's always understandable what she's doing, and, like, I don't know if that's, like, E being nuanced, or the movie, again, not wanting to commit to having character flaws. Yeah, or or just won't properly explore what these potential flaws actually mean, or like the ramifications of them. Mm-hmm. And so, like Trish doesn't want anything to do with E. Uh, Tiny the border collie is a traitor. She he is super into whoever these strangers are, um, and it's like it's very funny because Tiny is not in the flashbacks, and so we can surmise. And also, this is a ranch, and he's a cattle dog. And so we can surmise that he was not present in their apartment when they were living together. And so he he doesn't really have a reason to be loyal to E, and yet is super down for her staying. It's extremely funny. I love Tiny the dog. 
Yeah, it would. It's something you see a lot in movies when people break up and they used to like have this dog together, mm-hmm. or or just you know the dog interacted with both of them a lot, and it makes sense the dog remembers them still, and like in this way the dog kind of represents you know suppressed feelings from one of them, mm-hmm. but the dog has never met E before supposedly, mm-hmm. so it makes no sense. But it is hilarious. See, when this movie is trying to be funny, it falls really flat. And when this movie is try- is not trying to be funny, it's absolute comedy gold. You love to see it. And then it's like, it's actually Matt that explains the situation about how like their lives are in danger. Um, because E is just like, Trish, talk to me. And Trish is like, no, I don't want to see you. And Matt is like, hey, 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 there's a guy trying to kill us. Yeah, so... Trish eventually gives in and says they can stay for like a couple days and then she wants them gone, mm-hmm. which uh, is fair. Also, since, you know, he is putting Trish in danger by going there, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that never really seems addressed or that he really seems worried about for some reason. Um, Speaking of things that are not addressed, Trish is going to lose the ranch and she's very sad about it because this is her ancestral home. Um, E offers her the money without hesitating. Like, she has staked her entire life and her future on this duffel bag full of cash and immediately is like, I have a duffel bag full of cash, do you want it? Yeah, that I think is great. Yeah. Uh, But that's never really brought up again and her issues with the ranch. And dear listeners, please keep that in the back of your mind for later. Keep keep, uh, Trish's very specifically financially solvable problems in the back of your mind for a later scene. Then Nothing get... really happens at all that the next day or the rest of that day rather uh, Matt like fixes some blinds mm-hmm. in the in the house. Mm-hmm. Um E's like fixing a fence uh while Trish is riding a tractor doing something. We don't really know what she's doing on that tractor. <laughs> the movie just wanted to show her doing things mm-hmm. he fixes a fence i think it's like we're supposed to assume that they're doing these chores without being asked which is supposed to tell trish that E is a better person now which would work if E was actively a bad person before yeah it, the whole time it just feels like trish is being so unnecessarily harsh and i mean you know someone breaks your heart i understand being upset like in a very general sense but she's being so hostile Mm -hmm. meanwhile uh johnny is a sniveling worm is the thing that i've written here uh he's tossed the apartment for uh, this is i believe the second time that the apartment gets tossed and then he gets threatened by three men in suits and we don't know who these men are we don't even really know how johnny is a criminal we don't know if he's like money laundering or if this is a drug thing or if like he could be trafficking people through this club we don't know um but he gets threatened by some people we don't know who they are or who they work for or what their connection is to johnny besides technically the duffel bag full of cash is money that was owed to them and we don't know why or what happened or blah 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 blonde boy blonde boy blonde (laughs) boy is still texting matt and this never becomes plot relevant and i have drawn a little or typed a little angry face in my notes and then trish and e make out 
Oh, they do so much more than make out. <laughs> they, they kiss in the kitchen, and then the scene the, the scene starts. So, do we want to talk? Oh, no, about I. What? So the thing that made us put this movie on this list initially, when we were at, in October, in of twenty twenty. We were sitting on the floor of our living room. We were watching this movie. This was like maybe the sixth weird gay movie that we had watched. The sixth wolf movie that we had ever experienced. Maybe. And the thing that made us want to talk about it in like a more formal sense, or at least to like inflict it upon other people, is this three minute and 13 second sex scene in the middle of this film. And not even in the middle. Like, we're getting, like, this is the beginning of the third act. This is, we're edging towards, like, the, the, the climax of the movie. And we have to pause. And we have to have this extremely, like, luxurious, like, saccharine love scene between Trish and E. It starts so incredibly randomly, too. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, E and Trish had been not even interacting nope. really before this trish was like actively avoiding e mm-hmm. um looking unimpressed they... at her like e's doing chores to be like look i i'm a provider and trish is like rolling her eyes and like shaking her head disappointedly like you're not it's not that easy um and then and then this happens yeah it is so incredibly detailed Mm -hmm. like it keeps for no reason i feel like it's so long like i say three minutes and 13 seconds we don't cut to anything there's no like it's not intercut with anything there's there's no panning away it keeps looking like the camera's gonna cut away and we're gonna fade to black and it's gonna be morning and it just keeps going it's like zoom-ins on their genitals there's like like and we were talking about this initially we were like oh we should talk about like sexualization of lesbians in film but this is a this is a gay movie by the gays for the gays and so recontextualized like that i think and you can disagree with me anyone can disagree with me at any time i what recontextualized like that it feels more like it feels like this is a movie made by a woman who is attracted to women who is showing off the fact that women can be attracted to each other. Like, I don't know if that's the right wording. It's like a love letter to lesbianism itself. This love scene is a Sappho poem in like all the best and worst ways. Yeah, definitely a lot of uh, lesbian movies that are directed by men, specifically straight men, you can tell if there is a sex scene in this movie. Um, it's it's directed in such a way, like for you know a male audience, mm-hmm. a straight male audience, um, and that's definitely not the case here. They're really not sexualized like we don't weirdly zoom in on their boobs or anything mm-hmm. um there is full frontal they're beauty. there they, but, we should say yeah that. but it's like we we should have said that but, like at the top <laughs> there's full probably. frontal nudity i'll i'll yeah. i'll put something in in post there's full frontal nudity in this movie. um just as a warning yeah but but it, they're not like 
it's not sexualized in any way. Yeah, despite somehow. despite and that, being... that is really uh, noteworthy. I think maybe it's like less correct to say it's not sexualized because it is literally a sex scene, but it's not, it's not male gazy. This is not it's not leering, it's loving. It's like yeah. these two women care about each other, and now they're going. Now that care is going to manifest physically, and we are going to like watch them enjoy each other, enjoy themselves. Um, the problem really is not that this sex scene exists, or even that it is very long, but that the build up to it is so sparse. Yeah, they they kind of they look at each other in the kitchen in the dark because it's late at night and um trish kind of says i can't and then immediately immediately after saying that kisses e yeah she's like you're trouble e and like none of these flashbacks really indicated that she was trouble like if this movie was about because johnny's a criminal and johnny's her boss but we never see E. We never. Where it's never even really implied that E also does the crime, you know. Like we don't know what Johnny's criminal stuff is, and we don't know if E is involved in it. If that was the conflict, if that was the thing where Trish was like, "This is too much. You started DJing at this place, and also you're running drugs." Like she does one, uh, like one tab of E. I don't know if E comes in tabs. Um, but she like in the club and like is that is that the thing that I'm supposed to think that she's a bad person is like dropping out of college is that the thing that I'm supposed to think makes her a bad person like she's a little bit mad at her mom but like so am I like what 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 <laughs> we not we're not are we even clear on how much E actually knows about Johnny's criminal activities she definitely knows that he is a bad man but like right but it's it's just all so vague yeah lots of like lots of we're told something and it's not demonstrated and even the thing that we're told is super vague like we, we know that johnny is a criminal but for all we know he's like stealing cable and that's the thing that he does you know like what hmm? what 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 I didn't say anything. No, I was saying what to the... I was like, what? Hey, oh, okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ignore me then. And, never. Um, anyway, Trish is angry in the morning. Uh, her ponytail, she like... They make it a point to... E like takes her hair out of the ponytail. And like, that's nice. That's something that you don't see a lot of the time in like sex scenes that are directed by men, right? Women have their hair up and like either stays in the ponytail or it's in this really fancy updo. And she takes one bobby pin out and it cascades down her shoulder. And it's like, what? Where? When? Um, (laughs) But then in the morning, it's just back in the ponytail don't sleep with your ponytail in, fellas. It's bad for your hair. Yeah, she, I guess, you know, after they were done with their very, very long uh, sexy time, she made a special point to return her hair to the position, to the, the style it was in beforehand, to just to sleep. I just, know some people do sleep with their hair in ponytails. I don't understand how. Yeah. That just sounds so incredibly uncomfortable bad for your hair it can cause 
damage. Don't do that. If you if you want yeah. it off your neck, get a bonnet. Uh, we don't. We still don't know why Trish is upset. I feel like we've talked about that a lot. Um, but it's so important it's, because it's their whole it's, yeah. dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> It's the whole conflict. It's the central conflict of the movie. You think that this is a movie about a duffel bag full of money. It's a movie about relationships. Psych. <laughs> Pulled the rug right, up, right out from under you. The movie didn't really know that until much later no. in the film. No. <laughs> uh, okay. But that's okay. They got there eventually. This is the third time that the apartment gets tossed. Johnny is despondent. He's like talking to one of Matt's Barbies as if it is E and figures out where E is by finding a postcard from Trish. He just sees this postcard completely out of context and it has an address on it. So he's like, aha, gotcha. And it, how? What? Yeah, that, that means absolutely nothing. We get postcards sometimes. Doesn't mean we automatically go to all the places that those postcards are from, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, then E finds the fancy clarinet that you mentioned earlier. It's a buffet. People who know things about clarinets, um, that's good, right? It's like a Steinbeck, like a, the, it's the, st- the Steinbeck of, of uh, clarinets. I don't even know if I'm saying that piano company right. Um, <laughs> Trish. It was going to be a gift. Oh, right. go, were you going to say that? Yeah. Trish was yeah, going it, to. It, Nope, you go. No, go ahead. You got it. Mm-hmm. I believe in you. <laughs> Trish was going to give it to her, uh, but then they broke up, and she just kept it. I don't know. I pawned things that I still own from my exes. I don't know about you guys. Um, <laughs> especially, like, this really fancy instrument. Those cost hundreds of dollars when they're not fancy. And she's hurting for money right now. Yeah. As we have mentioned, as the movie forgot, but we didn't forget. She says it's like the the ranch is like mortgaged, like through the roof. Like she's in genuine financial trouble and she kept this clarinet. Does that, is that an indicator to the audience that she does still have genuine feelings for E? If so, why is that not remarked upon, I guess? I don't know. Is it supposed to be subtle? I don't know. Uh, Oh, uh, then we get an extremely funny scene where one of Trish's neighbors, like, at a store, um, has, has given Johnny the wrong directions to her house. Like, he, they're traveling in some coop, and she gives him directions that would lead him through, like, the backwoods, which is meant for four-wheelers. And so, like, good on you, lady. I, General Store Lady's my favorite character, actually. Oh, yeah, she's great. <laughs> and she's what, uh tips off Trish when she goes to buy a few things that there are people looking for her. Mm -hmm. So then E knows that uh, they can no longer stay at the ranch and they have to get out of there. Yeah, and like, they've settled in at this ranch. They're like doing chores, cooking breakfast. There is no planning going on in this house. There is no contingency. They're not like thinking about like, oh, we should like deposit this money in a bunch of like ghost accounts. We should like open up, uh, I don't know what it takes to open up a Swiss bank account, but we could Google it. We should bury it in the yard. There is nothing, no discussion. We are fully, this is home now. If Johnny had not showed up, they would have just stayed at the ranch. Yeah, once again, the movie keeps forgetting that we're supposed to like be concerned about this 
peril that they are in. Trish stashes the two of them and the dog in like the back 40. She says, I've got to talk to Bev. And silently the movie says, we're not going to tell you who Bev is. Yeah. Yeah, they just have this one random conversation together, and we know nothing about their past relationship at, at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's revealed that Bev is a pilot. Like, we get this scene, and it's like, she's got a bomber jacket on, so it's like, oh, I bet she's like a, a crop duster or something. She's got a plane they can, they can use. And they have this weird conversation where Bev can tell that Trish has had sex with E because of her aura. <laughs> Yeah, she says, like, she can smell the, the pheromones on Trish or something. Yeah. Pheromones. I'm like, wh- what does that mean? Did they not shower afterward? It's been a day. And then Trish's response is weird, too, because she says something about, like, how her body wouldn't obey her yeah, or something. Uh, past me is so funny. I've written, uh, Trish is at the mercy of her cooch and can't stop <laughs> stop herself from sleeping with E. <laughs> like, yeah, I I guess because of how, how E has been characterized this whole time and from this conversation, the movie is convinced that um, lesbians cannot control themselves. Maybe, or maybe just, E's just really good at sex. Maybe E has all of these exes and and Trish can't control herself around her because E is really great in bed. Maybe that's what the three minute sex scene was demonstrating. It was just so subtle that we weren't really getting it. Uh-huh. I don't I don't think that's that's what the movie was going for. I really don't. But you know what? You could believe that if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um Matt is upset at E for getting in them into this whole mess, even though the whole running for their lives thing was an accident. Was like genuinely like, oh, uh, we don't know, like we don't know where this money came from, and also we don't know who tossed our apartment. And then by the time they realize that it's someone they could have negotiated with, uh, Johnny is already like bent on murdering them. So. Uh, I don't know if I totally agree with that. Okay. I think when Johnny called her parents' house, Mm -hmm. she had a choice. Maybe she thought that, um, you know, Johnny was was lying and, like, I don't know, would kill them after he got the money or something. Mm -hmm. But she did have a choice at that point to just give over the money and instead, she chose to go on the run some more. Okay, yeah, that's valid. The, okay, so they, they hide out in a little shack on the back 40, and then Johnny is here with his stupid sideburns. Why have they styled this man like this? Is that how they do it in Australia? It, please seek help. Um, it looks so bad. Looks I mean, so bad. it's just the movie wants to make sure we know that he's the bad guy, so they give him these sideburns. Yeah, um... The way that he knows that they've gone to ground is that he like spots Trish absolutely sprinting away from the house and toward like the little shed, um, like just booking it down this path after she's talked to bed, to Bev. So like he follows her, gets to the the shack. He brought the fancy clarinet on the run. They're like. 
they've got like she's got like a like a hiking backpack on and matt is carrying the bag of money and nothing else and then she whips out this clarinet and plays a little sum sum <laughs> yeah really not prioritizing the right things here if if the symbolism if the symbolism exists between the clarinet and like good times happiness then is she experiencing the good times because Trish is here now because she slept with Trish now and she's and Trish is helping them there, it, Trish didn't really like she expressed regret at having slept with with E and like yeah she, that's not what you want yeah. morning after <laughs> and like she's helping them but only because they're gonna die maybe so I don't know yeah, they never had a single real, at least not a single positive conversation about their relationship. Yeah. And like if, and like the whole bringing the clarinet out when you're literally hiding in a shack, they're like camping out, like hiding from this man who's coming to murder them. And like bringing the clarinet out at this moment could be really powerful but the movie has not committed to the bit enough for that to happen. Yeah, once again, we're not committing enough to anything, really. Nope, just like E. Uh, <laughs> just leaves the audience confused. Um, so they have this confrontation at the little shed. Right. Uh, Johnny is here. He has... He has uh, earlier he was at the house he saw dog bowls and so was like they're gonna have a dog with them I'm gonna grab some raw meat from the fridge and take a pill of some kind that I just have raw hanging out in my sh front shirt pocket and I'm gonna put as it you do. <laughs> as you do I'm gonna put it in this raw meat I'm gonna put that raw meat <laughs> in my front shirt pocket and when I get to the dog, I'm going to offer it the raw meat. I'm going to say right now, listener, no dogs die in this movie. He goes to sleep. He gets very lethargic. He lies down on the ground uh, and he's okay. Tiny's fine. Um, but now we we're concerned. Yes. Uh, we got to that to that point and we're like, well, we're not going to put this movie on the podcast if the dog dies. Um, and it's on the podcast. So that, that's how you know the dog doesn't die. Um hostage time he like puts a knife to uh to trish's neck and has an amazing line he says i am fond of cutting he has done no knife stuff in this movie he has not been a knife twirling villain he threatens multiple people not none of those times have been with a knife none of them he doesn't even like have a butterfly knife that he plays with idly you cannot give me a villain who says that he's fond of knife stuff and then not do have him do any knife stuff. Don't we haven't really seen him do anything scary at yeah. all actually. Yeah. Um we're just supposed to assume that he is scary and can do scary bad things, he can order but we never people. really see him hurt anyone, mm -hmm. really threaten anyone other than like threatening E on the phone, I guess. Right. That's They're it. Like the, he's got these goons with him and he orders the goons to their sirens outside. Hopefully 
they're like not super loud but that's fine um i didn't hear anything oh that's great there's the there's goons he's got goons with them they're big they're tall they're muscly he orders them to do things but they are currently stuck in the mud with the coop he doesn't he's by himself he's got his little knife what he points a shotgun at him and he says bet you don't even know how to use that thing and one we have no evidence of that i guess we don't have any evidence that she does know how to use a shotgun but two she is a foot from him if she leaned in a little bit the barrel would touch his face you don't have to know what you're doing at that point it's a shotgun your head's just gonna explode bud and i've written here just shoot him (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean once again you know he's not at all a threatening bad guy Mm -mm. so as soon as this confrontation actually happens there's not too much that he really does uh they they very easily get the upper hand on him Mm -hmm. and just kind of leave him tied up there in the in the dirt yeah and then the best scene in the movie happens (laughs) the thing that you should watch this movie for is that the thing they yes. should watch this movie for? Oh, yes. Right, if you say so. Absolutely. Get to the end. Get to the plane chase. Get to three people and a border collie booking it down this dirt runway. There's a Cessna or something taxiing down this runway. And they get ambushed. They get ambushed by Johnny. E is carrying... E is carrying the shotgun and she tosses it aside I guess so she can run better because this is a video game and you need to holster your weapon in order to run faster (laughs) and she gets bum rushed by Johnny and now Johnny has the gun and E says doesn't do anything with it doesn't do anything doesn't do anything with it E says I can't be that E anymore, which I think is supposed to imply or confirm that she was a criminal, but like, what? When? How? In what manner? Oh, I I didn't get the vibe that she was a criminal. I just okay. thought that meant like the DJing, the partying all night, uh, the drugs, uh, hooking up with strangers. Like she's she's falling she's... back in love with the clarinets mm. and with Trish, who I guess she never really stopped loving. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done with Hot Girl Summer. Now it is time to time for find a wife fall. It is time to commit. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I understand. Um, Johnny gives up despite having a shotgun pointed at her, <laughs> like. The duffel bag full of money is on the plane with 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 Madden Trish and Tiny. The the he's got a gun pointed at his new nemesis and like maybe this is like oh they did have like this deep emotional connection like he cares about her despite being racist. Um but like, That was never made clear. Right. That it was does never not land. properly It 100% yeah. whiffs it. Um gives up there is uh, she gets into the plane she's got the duffel bag full of money on her lap now and she looks at trish and she's like i don't need the money and tosses it out of the plane 
and that rip to Trisha's ranch, I guess. Rip to Trisha's ranch. Rip to them like having a better time, an easier time starting over in Melbourne. Like rip to what? Like what if she wants to go back to school? They're not gonna give you that scholarship a second time, girl. There is no re. I cannot emphasize this enough. They are not being chased. There is one man on the ground, and he tossed away a shotgun which wouldn't like it's not like he's got a machine gun and could possibly shoot down the plane if this movie decided it wanted to be ridiculous there is no reason and i was i was angry the first time that we watched this i was angry the second time that we watched this and i am angry now i guess the movie was trying it is admirable that you want to come buy money honestly and this is dirty money mm. you know it's part of the like or turning over a new leaf kind of thing with e in general oh, okay um and i guess that's what the movie is going for Symbolism. but it is very frustrating especially when you know all of these financial difficulties that trish has mm-hmm. the way you just see all of those bills yeah fly out of the plane the they blow away <laughs> in the wind and johnny tries to catch them out of the air it's so funny not funny enough to make up for the absurdity of it but funny funny in a sad way yeah <laughs> Um, uh, and then the final scene of the movie, right? Because we're not—it's not over yet. We don't end on "I don't want the money. I just want you." Tosses the money out of the plane. That would have been a perfectly admirable uh, ending, but instead we get something. But the movie tries mm-hmm. to wrap up its other plot threads right. in a very uh, unsatisfying way. Yeah. Um, so earlier in um, earlier when we were at the parents' house. Uh, the dad talks a little bit about how the mom has not been happy since the brother died and therefore has not been singing. Um, and, uh, you know, that's her talent. Like, the, the clarinet is, is to E as singing is to E's mom. And it's very sad for the dad and for the family in general that her mom hasn't sung in a very long time. We get to the final scene of this movie. It is a clarinet concert headlined by E and her mom is accompanying her on vocals and it's very good and I think it would have been more impactful if the parents were in more than one sequence in this movie but that's just me right and like in the audience for this concert uh we have the dad obviously and Trish is there Mm -hmm. we don't know if the parents are aware of Trish's relationship with E or not that is never clear so we have no idea if E ever came out since that was the main conflict with her and Trish before or if Trish we don't know if they just got over that right or if Trish decided that she was okay with E not being out like we don't know all we know is that E supposedly has a better relationship with her family now in general. Right. Um, and we also see Matt in the background with, blonde with, man. with my, the blonde man. My pairing is Ken, and that's what matters. Yeah, would have been better if they had ever interacted in person before this final scene, yeah. like you said before. Maybe but a little that's bit. fine. Whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the end of the movie. E, she's also wearing sleeves. E is wearing long sleeves in this, and I feel like I want that to be significant because in literally every other scene, she is wearing a sleeveless or short sleeve top, except when she's the matador, I guess, just because she's got the matador jacket. I don't know. I want it to be significant. It's not. Yeah, E's signature look is this sleeveless uh, button down. Yeah. Basically. So. so the fact that she has sleeves in this final scene does, I mean, it could just be she's dressing up more for this concert, but I don't know. It it feels, it's so noticeable that mm-hmm. she's wearing sleeves in this final scene. Like, you just want it to mean more. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I, I like, so final thoughts. Uh, I like this movie. I think that it is weird in several myriad but very small ways. Like I called it a really weird movie at the beginning, but it's not. It's a very normal movie. Um, It's just... It just has a couple bad, like, stereotypes in it, Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, excluding the weird biphobic moment. Um, Like, they have Mm -hmm. these, these weird... I still think they were they were trying to make a joke that like lesbians can't control themselves uh, with that one conversation mm. with Bev, and also a lot of the weird stereotypes with Matt, who's like again only personality trait is that he's gay and uh, insecure about his white and thinks that means he will never find love, and that's that's his whole character. Yeah. I, 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 I do like this movie, but, I mean, we just talked for an hour and 40 minutes about it. There has to be something there, right? <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is one of the ones. This is a podcast about... Hang on, did you know this was a podcast? Oh my god, I had no idea. <laughs> this is a podcast about obscure, bizarre, and bad gay movies. And I think that this is one is like squarely in the obscure camp and not really bizarre and not really even that bad. It is poorly paced and some of the acting is a little bit weird and it is weird about fat people, Irish people, and also a little bit about gay people. It's a little bit weird about gay people. Um, but you know, I don't know. I'd watch it again. It definitely, it's almost really good mm-hmm. it just you know like you said it, it, it takes a couple bad turns yeah 100 percent. so that that was all about e parentheses 2015 um i uh, there is a question of like whether or not we're recommending these movies to people i think i'm that there are definitely ones on this list that for this for this first sort of season i'm not recommending this is one of the ones that I would like people to watch. Definitely <laughs> it is worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If nothing else, it would be fun to yell at E for throwing the money out of the plane. Yeah, yeah. Show the show this movie to someone who who hasn't listened to this to this episode and like wait for that scene and just watch their face. That's the thing that I want to do. Definitely would be worth it. <laughs> Okay, I have been Hal. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Hal Shul. 
Uh, you can find the show at but is it underscore gay. This has been Autumn. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and my Twitter is um, autumnal underscore season. See you in the next episode, I guess. We won't see you and you won't see us. This is a podcast. And stay next tuned. Week we're gonna be, <laughs> mm-hmm. ne- next week we're going to be talking about Cloudburst, a movie from, I want to say 2011. Um, let's see if I remember it. Nope, that's the weather phenomenon. Cloudburst movie. <laughs> yes, Cloudburst 2011. It's another lesbian road trip. Uh, very different this time, though. Very different. Um, uh, it's a good movie, is the thing that I will say. <laughs> this, we said this is a podcast about bad movies, and we opened with an okay movie and a good one. So that's how trustworthy we are. <laughs> about as trustworthy as the movies themselves. <laughs> but as trustworthy as Johnny. Ugh. Um, Editing Hal here once again to thank Enoff, E-N-O-F-F, on Instagram for our theme song. Yeah, that's a that's an outro, right? <laughs> <laughs>